Welcome to Brazilian Politics, the podcast where three political analysts talk about all things Brazilian politics. This week, we will discuss the results of the presidential elections, the Bolsonaro Haddad second round, the new face of Congress, and perspectives for governability for the two candidates. Welcome to Brazilian Politics. I'm Michael Lopez. I'm joined by my colleagues, Lucas and Thiago Aragão. How are you guys doing today? Hello, guys. Hello, everyone. All right, let's get right into it. Well, the, the people have spoken and they have made quite a statement. Bolsonaro very nearly took the race in the first round, coming just short of the majority of valid votes. Now he'll face Fernando Haddad from the Workers' Party in the runoff round on October 28th. But before we discuss any specifics, I wanted to get your take on what this means in the larger context, not only of Brazil's political history, but of Brazil's society today. How did we get here? Michael, that's a great point, and I don't think it's, it's, uh, people speak about it quite enough. I think that uh, in the last four years, we, have a com we had a complete destruction of the political class. Brazil's political parties, which are already in a very fragile, feeble state, Uh, once again showed uh, that they are uh, losing space to the narratives of sole candidates. The Congress had a historic renovation. The Congress also had a historic uh, fragmentation of new parties, and this is not something only detected in the National Congress. If you look in state assemblies uh, around the country, this phenomenon happened in other areas. For instance, Brasilia will have a record number of parties in its state assembly, in its district assembly, to be more precise. In Minas Gerais, one of the most important states, and compared to the United States, something like Ohio, because it mimics a lot of what the national race has, uh, they also elected around 28 parties. So what does this mean? The parties are losing space, and what we are seeing is a growth of narratives, and the only party that actually had a large statement is because of a figure itself, Jair Bolsonaro, which elected strong numbers in state assemblies and went from eight seats in the House to 52 seats in the House. So it's a historic moment for, for Brazil in a destruction of the political class, uh, 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 even further destruction of the parties, and a situation where we have uh, uh, the figures, the individuals leading the narrative. Michael, uh... I see this, what we saw on Sunday with the almost election of Bolsonaro in the first round as the third reset button of the current political environment that the Brazilian society is doing since redemocratization. The first one was 1989 when they elected Collor as a symbol of the anti-establishment, as an attempt to bring something new only four years after redemocratization, but in what something society already understood that certain efforts and certain necessities of Brazil as a whole could not be accomplished by any of the other traditional candidates that were in the dispute. The second of this wave I see happening with the election of Lula in 2002, which again was an attempt of the Brazilian society to detach from everything that they considered to be traditional politics, establishment politics, and everything that represented more of the same. 
And now we see the third time in this in which this occurs with the almost election of Bolsonaro uh, to the president of Brazil, in which, again, under the same reasons, the same narrative, the Brazilian society is aiming at someone who can reset the system, can present as anti-establishment, can renew the entire political environment and present himself as something someone new, someone that can do everything from the scratch. And this, I think, uh, is it, it is a very symbolic moment in the history of Brazil. But more than that, it's a campaign that the pace of the campaign was determined by the voters and not necessarily by the candidates. Yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly with both of you. I also think it's important to mention that that uh, of course, Bolsonaro has a lot of support. He has uh, a lot of uh, loyal supporters. His social media campaign uh, has been very strong. And he's also been able to focus on specific issues uh, as opposed to engaging in moral debates uh, about uh, democracy or anything like that. So Brazil is is worried, I think, about three key things right now. And Bolsonaro has been able to specifically tackle these three issues. Uh, the first is a public security. This is the main issue of the Bolsonaro campaign. Uh, as a, a former uh, army captain, he is, uh, it's natural for him to present uh, compelling arguments for, for public security, despite the fact that he may not have presented a very many a specific uh, public arguments uh, uh, proposals, public policy proposals. The second is the economy. And while Bolsonaro is the first to admit that he's not an economist, it's not his main area of expertise, I think Paulo Guedes uh, was very able to, to take this role and take responsibility for uh, economic management in a future Bolsonaro government. And the third is the issue of corruption. Um, Brazilian society has been bombarded daily uh, since the car wash investigation and prior to that with the Mensalão scandal um, in the Lula administration as well, with stories about corruption in Congress, in the presidency, uh, secret deals between large companies for illegal financing of campaigns. And the, the Brazilian population has basically had enough and they sent a very strong message of rejection, of rejection of traditional politics, rejection of traditional candidates, and the traditional political system as a whole. So because Bolsonaro was able to embody this outsider status, despite the fact that he's been a federal representative for the last 27 years, uh, this, this drove the point home in a, very, in a very effective way. I think on Sunday we saw that Brazilian society has had enough and we also saw that the traditional parties and the traditional leaders in Brazil were unable to adapt to the new times. I think they thought that the establishment would be able to maintain its position just based on its history and its power. But the, the Brazilian people, I think, had a different idea about uh, where the country should head. And guys, uh, just to, to, to move into something a little bit more objective, which I think is uh, what People are obviously asking us here at Arco Advice uh, every single minute. Who do you think is the favorite? What percentage of this favoritism do you attribute and, and why? In a short answer from, from, from you two, and then I will give my take. Well, I'm going to give my first take here. I'm going to be the first one. My, my take is that Bolsonaro is ample favorite to win this election. 
I would give him between 70 and 80% chance of winning, mostly because the votes that he required to, to win, he already has. He earned these votes already. Of course, he will need probably, depending on the, on the final setting, maybe a variation of two or three more points. But Bolsonaro, he already conquered the votes that it's necessary for him to win. Haddad, on the other hand, he still needs to get these votes from somewhere. And although the polls demonstrate the equilibrium between these two candidates, Haddad's narrative is one that it's very hard to fit in with um, the votes that are not, aren't already with him. So that's my take for the moment. I agree uh, with Tiago as far as the percentage is concerned. And I think there, there are a few reasons as to why Bolsonaro has the advantage uh, in the second round. Uh, first of all, there's there's the regional issue. I don't think Fernando Haddad will have uh, very many relevant allies in the states to support him in the second round. And in general, the PT did not have much support in uh, in the states in the first round, aside from uh, the Northeast. Um, and Jair Bolsonaro will have significant support in key states, uh, specifically the th three largest states in Brazil, which are Minas Gerais, Rio de Janeiro, and São Paulo, where he is very popular and he has obtained very positive results. Um, Bolsonaro's supporters will continue to support him in the second round. And I believe Bolsonaro will receive majority support from the voters of Geraldo Alckmin, João Amoedo, Cabo Daciolo, Henrique Meirelles, and uh, maybe a minority from Ciro Gomes and Marina Silva. But the, the chances of Bolsonaro obtaining support from the political center, I think, are higher than the chances of Fernando Haddad moving his narrative to a centrist narrative, um, especially because he is so tied to the figure of Lula in this campaign. I will go even further in terms of boldness in my prediction and say that there's an 80% chance of Bolsonaro winning this election. I'll add to what Thiago said, to what Michael said in regards to the, to the state support. Uh, Bolsonaro is strong in the Northeast, but uh, paradoxically, two successes of the PT in the Northeast uh, are hindering or could hinder him in the second round. The two largest states in the Northeast are Ceará and Bahia. In both of these states, uh, the PT won in the first round, which means that uh, in the next couple of weeks, all the structure that was built to elect these governors are being dismantled. It won't have the same aggression and the, the same action, the same strength that the elections were having in these two states. Uh, so this counts points against uh, Adagi. Uh, in terms of Bolsonaro, just some quick remarks here. The difference between Bolsonaro and Haddad of 16.75 percentage points is the largest difference uh, since Lula beating José Serra from the PSDB with a 23 percentage point difference. The Northeast, where is a key area for the PT and represents 27 percent of the electorate, Haddad won in the states. But Bolsonaro performed really well. He went. He had better results in all the nine states of the Northeast than Aécio Neves, the PSDB candidate against the PT in 2014. Uh, and in the capital cities of the Northeast, in like five or six of them, Bolsonaro won. So he is indeed not only tapping into the traditional anti-PT votes, but he's also been able to, to drink from the fountain of traditional PT uh, groups of voters. And on top of that, 
Two last items. One, Bolsonaro will have TV time to defend himself from the attacks, and Haddad will be, for the first time, attacked on TV, because in the first round, Bolsonaro had no TV time. And in the first round, the PSTB, who traditionally attacks the PT, they were aiming all their forces and their attacks against Bolsonaro. So in an analogy, I think that Bolsonaro is in a Formula One race, leading the race with a comfort. And if he loses, will be more upon his own mistakes and the, com the, the, com the commitment of, of, of uh, the, the making uh, mistakes, committing mistakes, rather than Adagi making perfect laps until winning the election. So I think that the election is much more in the hands of uh, Bolsonaro than Adagi. However, Adagi could still win because the Bolsonaro campaign is indeed an experience and could make some mistakes along the way. Lucas, thank you uh, for those points. And thank you for making a Formula One reference uh, because Chago's previous points reminded me of a, a saying in Brazilian politics, which is, I think, very applicable to these elections. And it is that in, in Brazil, voters look at politicians like Formula One drivers because we care about the driver. We don't really care about the team. We will support Ayrton Senna in McLaren, but we will support Ayrton Senna in Williams. We have no feelings about the teams. And I think uh, the, the hit that political parties took in these elections show, and Bolsonaro shows, that Brazilian voters care about candidates and uh, not political parties. But I, I want to segue into the next question, which is uh, was tangentially mentioned by, by Lucas, but I think we can go a little further. Um, we've established uh, points of, uh, of strength for Bolsonaro in the second round, but what will the PT and what will Haddad have to do to contain uh, Bolsonaro and, and contain this conservative wave that was made apparent in the first round? Well, Michael, the PT team will have a, a, a big difficulty in, in, in the second round because they are struggling to find a narrative that fits. Some inside the party are arguing that, um, and including Haddad himself, that the narrative should move more towards the center. However, what we've seen in the campaign was that the centrist candidates, they all failed to, be, to deliver their message and to convince the voter of themselves as a solution. Since this race is highly emotional, the general voter, he wants to see the polarization. A polarization is not something that suddenly appears. It's something that is constructed both by the political party, uh, political uh, individuals, as well as by the voters. So the question is, if Haddad goes towards a more centrist narrative, will that be enough for him to get voters from where he needs to get to win the campaign? Uh, I don't think so. It could be very hard for him to do that. On the other hand, if Haddad makes his argument more extremist and more uh, radical, would that be something that uh, would make him gain more votes? I don't think so. Perhaps being more extremist in his narrative, he could consolidate the votes that he already has. So this is why Haddad's difficulty in the second round to try to create a barrier against this conservative environment and wave in Brazil is very hard because he doesn't have much maneuver within the narratives that he has. Thank you, Thiago. I think that's very well put. Uh, another question that we get a lot here at Arco Advice and something that I want uh, you, Lucas, to, to answer is what does a future Bolsonaro 
government or a future Haddadjik government look like in terms of creating a governing coalition, in terms of the governability of of their of their administrations, especially given the big changes and the high level of renewal that we saw in the congressional elections in the Senate and in the lower house as well. Mike, I think uh, that in terms of governability, they have some similarities and some differences. We made a projection here at Arco that says that Bolsonaro could have around 255 congressmen on his side, 141 as opposition and 117 uh, independent, which he could tap into depending on the votes. Haddad would have a maybe a broader beginning of coalition with 300 names, around 300 names, 139 in the opposition and 72 independents. But obviously, this is the beginning of a coalition. The coalition is, is something that has to be constantly fed, taken care of in order to, to have short, medium and long term results. I think the main difference is speaking to both campaigns is that Bolsonaro will try much more to negotiate with what we call the thematic benches or the groups of congressmen that are multi-party and support uh, common interests like the agribusiness uh, bench or the evangelical bench or the public safety bench comprised They're known as caucuses in the U.S., right? Yes, the caucuses. That is why it's, it's better to have Michael here, our, our native English speaker uh, host, to, to give me the, the better use of words for the listener. The caucuses will be much more used by the the by, by Bolsonaro, I believe, in order to run away from the, this fragmentation of parties. In broader terms, I think that the Senate will be the bigger difficulty because it was renewed so much that it's a question mark. But both have capacity to build coalition to start. If they're going to be able to keep it, it's a it's a, it's a matter of navigating crises, uh, keeping them fed, uh, avoiding a political crisis in the heart of the government. And, and and other issues of of uh, that are being ha- that will be happening along the way. And I'm, I'm going to pick from that uh, point that you made, Lucas, about forming the coalition is is relatively easy in comparison to maintaining a coalition, which is the hard thing. Uh, I don't. I, I agree with you. I don't see that the candidates, they, they, whoever is present, will have much difficulties on that. But in Bolsonaro's case, my major question is who will be the interlocutor that will work between the executive and the legislative? I think that this is this is a key question because this interlocutor is someone that uh, it's not easy to find. And we can get the example of Senator Romero Juca, that uh, he has been one of the interlocutors uh, for between executive and the parliament from Cardozo, Lula 1, Lula 2, Dilma 1, Dilma 2, and Temer. So uh, this shows that there is a scarcity of individuals who can play this role. And Bolsonaro will have to be very smart to avoid having a very good market-friendly reform uh, under his arm at the presidential palace and the inability to push it forward inside the parliament because they lacked this precise interlocutor to make the negotiation. A common example in the recent month, months and then years is that Juma, in the end of, his, of her second mandate, she had a Chicago school economist, Joaquin Levy, but was unable to push reforms. And in this pension reform issue, we had Tamer with Meirelles and the dream team of the economic team unable to push. Obviously, for, for many different variables, including crisis, 
lack of dialogue, economic deterioration and popularity, but it means that having a pool of good ideas in the finance minister is not enough. I think it's clear that Bolsonaro's administration has a considerable uh, challenge ahead of it as far as, as far as Congress is concerned. Um, their relationship to the caucuses is very positive. They received the support of the agribusiness uh, caucus right before the first round. Uh, they've also received a formal support from the evangelicals in Congress, which are a very organized and very loyal group of parliamentarians um, in Congress that have supported Bolsonaro as well. And of course, he also has the support of the military. Uh, in Brazil, this uh, this new thematic uh, support is used in the alliterative uh, phrase "boy bala Biblia," which uh, would translate in English to uh, "cows, bullets, and Bibles." Um, but it, it's going to be a considerable challenge because uh, the traditional system of congressional congressional negotiation obviously puts. A, a greater deal of importance on political parties and, and for Bolsonaro to change this, uh, this system uh, as well as coming in as a newcomer to do these at the same time, like Thiago said, will, will require a skilled uh, political negotiator to handle the articulation of these, of these alliances. Um, so we have a, a, a lot to wait for. Uh, we expect to see a lot more of Bolsonaro ahead of the second round. Um, he will participate in the debates these times. Like Chago said, he will, like uh, Lucas said, I'm sorry, he will also have more access to TV ad time. Um, so we will definitely have a lot to talk about on, on next week's uh, podcast. I want to thank our listeners for tuning in and invite you to tune in next week for more on Brazilian politics. Thank you. 